Hey guys, welcome back to 8-Bit Archaeology. Do me a favor, look over your shoulder. Are you alone? Are you sure you're alone? On this week's episode, we're going to be diving into isolation in gaming. Hey guys, welcome back to 8-Bit Archaeology. My name's Eric, and I like talking about video games. So on this week's episode, we're going to be talking about something a little bit more abstract than what we've done in the past. We're going to be talking about the concept of isolation in a game. So when I talk about isolation, what am I really... What do I, what do I mean when I say that? So when I'm talking about isolation in game design, I'm talking about a certain feeling that the player goes through when they're playing a game. So, you know, isolation is basically feeling like you're alone and helpless in a, in a new and sort of disparate space. Um, there's a couple games that I'll get to very soon that I played recently that made me feel very isolated while playing them, and that's sort of the impetus for this episode. So let's break down sort of what the concept of isolation amounts to, and at least in my eyes, like what I feel when I feel isolated. So usually it has something to do with a strange new environment that it looks alien to me, literal, literally alien in this case. Um, there's a certain desperation to survive and a baseline level of anxiety when exploring new areas. So things like that really contribute to, you know, putting a player on edge. Um, but there's also other factors to that too. So in game in game design, something that I see as sort of isolating is a game that is very rough on its players to begin with. So, you know, you start out very weak, very desperate. You're just trying to cling, cling to your teeth to survive till you hit the next save point, depending on what game you're in. But then also what is really another driving factor in that is the art style and the music of a game. These things are very critical in how we take in environments and games and can, you know, totally flip a game on its head if the soundtrack is one way or another. Like, I can't imagine playing a Super Mario game with, like, a death metal soundtrack or something like that because it would, you know, basically flip the experience of the game from just a platformer to something that was, I don't know, more... I, I don't know what death metal the Mario would do, but it's just an example of, you know, sort of that, that boppy music that comes on at a Mario level is essential to the experience, and it's similar here. So let's get into sort of, I want to touch briefly on the origin of these games. When the games that I'm going to be talking about this episode are mainly Axiom Verge and some of the Metroid games. Now, I've tried to look at kind of where the inspiration for these games sort of came from, or at least things that you can see that were drawn on to create the sort of environments that these games are. And I think very heavily back to the Alien movies, right? Or other sort of uh, horror movies that take place in space, because these are movies that basically put humans in alien situations, like literally, but also put them in circumstances where they can be helpless and lost and have no way of getting help, so they have to fend for themselves. These sorts of movies build tension up to a certain point that, you know, maybe there's one surviving character by the end, and it's only because they persevere through their own sheer willpower, right? How do you how do you program that into a game, and how do you make a player experience that same sort of feeling? Now, I'm not saying that, you know, Axiom Verge and Metroid series were directly influenced by things like the Alien movies, but there's there's definitely parallels to draw there in terms of the way the audience is meant to feel, right? You're meant to feel like the people you're watching on screen are helpless and can't do anything against this new overwhelming threat that they're facing, whether it's a brand new world or, uh, you know, a certain alien race that is hunting them down. So let's get into the games themselves and let's talk about what sort of makes these games in my eyes at least, sort of an isolating experience. So let's shift the conversation into sort of the games that 
I've been playing that have been making me sort of feel these very intense feelings of isolation, or maybe, maybe not really intense, but just like when I'm playing them, I feel very much in a certain mood where I'm alone and fending for myself and growing stronger through that adversity, right? So one game that you know, basically started this entire movement was the the original Metroid game, right? So I re- I recently picked up an NES Classic and I started playing through the original Metroid game, and you know that game is quite a few decades old so it definitely shows its age through the graphics and the gameplay and you know it's kind of brutally hard at some points too but something that it makes you feel very makes you feel very strongly right off the bat is the fact that Samus is alone on a new planet and she slowly has to explore her way through this new environment by herself facing you know a broad broad range of different life forms that are by definition alien and the the world is very the map is very limited when you first start off as most metroidvanias are and you have to basically get your like find your way through this labyrinth gain power-ups to go through it so there's sort of this you know scale of progression as you go through the game where you're getting stronger as you move through new environments but at the same time it's just the atmosphere of that first metroid game is so telling to the sort of experience that you were meant to have going through that right it's it you feel just everything's sort of dark disparate cluttered cramped and you you don't know when you're going to reach the next save point. So it's things like that that sort of started off the in my eyes started off this sort of moving towards this sort of way in design for gaming. But it's definitely not the one that honed it in the most. So the next one that I also played because I picked up an SNES classic a little bit ago is Super Metroid. And basically, Super Metroid takes everything that Metroid and Metroid Two did and does it better, right? So the the art style is a bit more colorful. It's more animated, but and the world is a bit more complex. Going through Super Metroid, I felt was maybe smoother than the first Metroid because A, the controls just evolved and the mechanics of the game are way more solid than the first Metroid. But just the way that you are going through, like the way that that world is animated compared to the original one, it's, you know, it, it looks more full of life, but at the same time, it's also darker, right? There's more of a range to work from in terms of the color of the music, and it's basically an iteration of that first formula. So going through the first Super Met, or going through Super Metroid again, because I, I did it when I was younger, but going through this time is a little bit more, it's a little more different. So I think the difference is when I played Super Metroid growing up, I would play with friends, but this time I played through by myself with just headphones plugged in, and it's very, you know, sort of harrowing. You're, you're, I, I tend to sort of set the atmosphere for these games when I'm playing them. You know, I kind of shut all the lights off, only have my game and my controller, and I have head, headphones hooked up so I can be truly honed in on the experience. And it's the same thing. You start out weaker. That first encounter with Ridley in the game, you can't do anything to Ridley. You feel powerless, and then you have to escape from an exploding laboratory. And that in itself isn't, isn't particularly scary or isolating, but the fact that you have to sort of work your way up to the point where you can actually beat Ridley is, you know, sort of the challenge of the whole game, right? These games really laid the foundation for this feeling that I'm talking about, this feeling of isolation while playing through some of these really intense Metroidvania games. So now I want to get to the main one that was really the inspiration for doing this episode, and that's Axiom Verge. So for those of you that don't know, Axiom Verge is an indie-developed Metroidvania game that is a lovingly crafted owed to the Metroid series. It was produced by one one guy, his name's Thomas Happ. He did everything. He spent about five years working on it. He did all the music himself. He did all the pixel art. He designed the maps. He designed the weapons, the combat, the bosses, everything. And I picked up this game about a year ago for the first time and played it on and off for about six months. And then I got stuck on one boss, kind of put it down out of frustration as you do. 
And then I sort of picked it back up again recently and played my way through the end of the game. And I got to tell you, playing through that game when I'm by myself is ridiculous because something that I think Axiom Verge might do a bit better than the Metroid series is the music itself is, I don't, I don't want to, the music is sort of two, two separate entities, but the music for Axiom Verge definitely instills more of a sense of anxiety. So, it, and also it's and it's an improvement on the, in my eyes at least, it's an improvement on the formula, right? So Axiom Verge mimics the the uh, pixel art style of the Met, of the original Metroid and Metro and sorry and Super Metroid, and it also has very similar movement 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 and traversal mechanics. You're jumping through individual rooms through sort of a labyrinth, and you're slowly filling out a map. Now, when you start off, uh, the the plot for the game is is a bit more loose. Um, it's essentially about this scientist who creates an explosion in his lab, and he ends up on a foreign planet, and he has to figure out what the hell happened to him. So he's going through these very labyrinthian corridors with life forms that he doesn't want to fight, but he to stay alive he has to fight them. And slowly and slowly, you gain more weapons, you get more powerful, and you you know gradually explore more and more of the world, and you peel back the layers of of what is happening on this planet and and there's so many dark undertones to this basically what you come to learn is the and this is spoilers for the game so if you don't want to i mean i'm not going to go into super detail with the plot but if you don't want the game spoiled for you then you know don't listen to this part but basically you find out that this 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 planet is a place where a human landed and tried to take advantage take all the advanced technology that was on the planet and bring it back to earth but he also had to stop the life forms there from getting back to Earth. So he basically committed mass alien genocide and left the planet dislit. And what's really interesting about the design of the game too is the world itself is distorted. You can you'll, you'll be moving through different environments, and the world itself will seem pixelated and glitched. And that's intentional. It's not the game being broken. This world is distorted, and you you gain a, a special gun and bomb over time that lets you clear up these distortions and you're, you know, kind of righting the wrongs of what's been done to the world. And then I, I guess sort of the most, God, this was sort of the thing that hit me the most with how kind of uh, scary this game is in a way is that your main character is, his name is Trace. He's a scientist whose lab blew up and he ended up on this planet, but he is also, and you know, major spoiler here, but he is also the uh, he's also the big villain. You you are your main character Trace is essentially a clone of the original Trace who moved to the planet and committed that genocide in the first place. So this journey through this game is a journey of your clone of you being the clone finding your way through this world and sort of deciding whether what your past self did was right or wrong. And you know, it's it's sort of it's not a moral gray area for the main char- for for this version of Trace. He definitely is against what his past self did. But it's sort of the idea that they and they play with this in some really trippy sequences that you can become the villain yourself, right? This guy had really good intentions when he got to this new place and wanted to take back what he could for the good of mankind, but instead he ended up wiping out almost an entire civilization and destroying a, a planet essentially and in a way that's kind of really disgusting because he himself turned into the monster. This place turned him into a monster. He started out as a regular human and the fact that your main adversary is yourself and you know there's probably a lot of games that steal that trope but the way it was done in this game I thought was very thoughtful because you essentially go through multiple boss battles and what you find out is that all these bosses are clones too that have mutated from the from being other clones of Trace or Athetos. That's the that's the name of the main villain at, at that point. 
and your main character is called Trace. What this game really honed into me was the fact that you are this character who does not want to fight anyone. He, he, he's learning about mass genocide. He's learning that he's part of the problem, and he's, he's assisting what life forms are still left on the planet, right? But everything, everything there is against him. He has, to work through this, he has to work through this complex maze to try and find a way home. And even at the end, you don't really... It's, it's sort of left open-ended, but it's, it's, it's assumed you don't really find a way home. You do end up taking down Athetos, but... You know, the, there's these beings called the Rusalki, and they're basically the ones who kept, who keep bringing back Trace to help deal with this problem. And they have supreme control over his body. At one point, you enrage one of the Rusalki, and they actually end up killing you, like a game over kill. And the way life works in this game is a little bit different, too. Your body will fall over, but then essentially your essence uh, gets transported back to these sort of egg healing pods. So your character goes through iter- iterative iterative deaths like death is part of the narrative that's a very that's a very telling fact too so you know this game is a little bit more it's not as pg as the metroid games are the metroid games are still dark don't get me wrong but there's something about the narrative of this one and just the way that you you gradually piece it out instead of things being laid out for you that it was sort of the most telling part of the experience for me and that's kind of what made me want to talk about this game a bit because It just, I felt feelings of desperation and survival and needing to get stronger for the sake of Trace and for the sake of the the beings that were left on the planet, right? So that's kind of breaking down what what makes you feel isolated in these games. Now I want to talk about what, you know, what good comes from that and what bad comes from that. So we've gone over sort of the games that make you feel isolated, or at least made me feel isolated. Now, what can what can these feelings sort of do to a player? Do they make you weak, and do they make you not want to play anymore? Do they feel overwhelming, give you anxiety? Well, it, it can do all these things. But what I think that, you know, turning these feelings of... I think these feelings of isolation can be turned into a positive for the player, right? Because it makes you do a few things. It makes you explore all these new environments in, in, in a meaningful way, right? You have to be careful because you don't know what's around the corner and you could be easily taken out by anything. You slowly have to work your way through a labyrinth. And over time, you feel like you gradually have more ownership over your environment. It's things like that, like exploration becomes more intentional, and you also have to be cautious as well because you don't know what sort of new life form is around the corner that could end it for you. But what I also feel like it really does well in these sorts of games is it it turns your character into someone who can be motivated to get stronger for their own survival, right? These environments force you to hone your skills in some way, and and you also pick up power-ups as you go along too that gradually increase the power of your character. And, you know, one area in the beginning of the game that felt overwhelming when you first entered it can feel like a cakewalk after you've beaten the final boss because your character has just become so overpowered at that point that it's, you know, it's it's a walk in the park to go through some some old place when your shots do more damage and you have way more health. Um, and I think that's something that Axiom Verge does really well once you can sort of figure out how the world works. And you, I mean, you can go through the game and not really know how the world works and still collect all the power-ups, but by the end of the game I felt sort of an ownership over the map and knowing I could get through a certain place unscathed versus the final area which was contentious and took a lot of effort to get through, but I, I knew from getting through the rest of the map that I could do it through this last part and I needed to do it for the strength of my character and for their survival. And it's not 
it's it's easy to latch onto a character in a video game and give them feelings that you project onto them and i think i think that sort of goes back to something i've talked about before and that's sort of having something to latch onto for your suspension of disbelief you know can you connect with these feelings that you that um that the character is having and and generally want to persevere for yourself and for them right and again it's just it's sort of building an atmosphere that enables these feelings so most games i think handle isolation in a good way i can't think of really any examples actually no i can rhyme is a game that came out recently that doesn't deal as heavily with sort of the creepy side of isolation. You find yourself on a lone island and solving puzzles, but that's more about wonder. And also that game has some shortcomings itself, but for the most part, I think games do a really good job of handling this sort of feeling of isolation and teaching you how to use it as a motivator to keep moving through and to power through the story, the game, the environments, and really become... By the, end, by the end game, you're essentially like a god in terms of power level. It's kind of crazy. You can brush through old enemies that did so much damage to you before. It's not even funny. So basically what I want to, you know, the 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 summary for this section is, is that for me, isolation gave me anxiety, but it gave me anxiety in a way that drove me forward to, to, beat, to beat the odds against me, right? To keep going and to make it through to the end because I knew I could do it because I was the only person who could help myself. So that's what's that's gonna do it for today's episode, guys. So what what do we really what did I really want to get across here? Right? Games like Axiom Verge and the Metroid series force you into situations where you feel alone and weak from the start, but by embracing the isolation and slowly growing more power over time, you eventually come to become a titan who can take on any challenge that faces you, right? The fact that isolation in these games isn't a negative. Maybe it is in the beginning, but it turns into a positive thing because it's a motivator and it's what keeps your character and you going. This is sort of a shorter episode and it, it's sort of a very kind of vague thing to talk about in game design because I'm talking about it's more a conglomeration of elements that come together between the environmental design, the music, and the difficulty of these games that sort of create this sort of tension and this isolation. But it's something that I wanted to talk about, at least briefly, because it was something interesting, um, to me at least. Uh, the episodes are going to kind of still striate in terms of concepts, and uh, it's going to be, you know, I've done some more mulling over of it, and they're going to be more in terms of vague concepts and game series and things like that. But what I wanted to what I'm, what I'm learning more is that games that I'm playing that are relevant to me right now are what I want to talk about. And it's not gonna, it's not going to say I'm not going to talk about classic games because I will talk about plenty of classic games. But you know, these these thoughts are sort of occurring to me as I'm thinking about things to talk about on the podcast. So it's what I want to focus on. So you know, I'm just playing through Axiom Verge, and I wanted to talk about Isolation because that was a really strong feeling while I was playing through it. So we'll see what one I hit next. Um, there's got, there's a few games coming up that I'm looking forward to. Um, Dead Cells releases tomorrow. Okami is later this week, which that's going to get its own episode. I, I know I said I'm moving away from single uh, single episodes based on games, but I'm definitely doing an entire deep dive into Okami and Shinto Shintoism. It's going to be good. Anyway, so where can you where can you find us? So if you have not yet, uh, join our Discord server. Join uh, join the discussion. You know, we all talk about what we're playing, uh, what we what we like and what we're playing, share some music, stuff like that. Uh, we got a small little community growing. Um, you can find me on Twitter, at 8BitArch. And you can also uh, email me at 8BitArch at gmail.com. Um, and if you like what you hear, please go give us a rating on iTunes. Every bit helps. Um, if you think you have a friend who would like this podcast, share it with them. You know, I'm, I'm here to make content for people who want to listen and for myself too because i enjoy it but i also like being able to connect with other people over 
shared ideas. So that's going to be it for this week. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening. I appreciate you just tuning in for and hearing me rant about game design. Uh, that's going to do it for this episode, and I will see you guys next time.